And sometimes we just, you have to go through hard stuff to improve, to get better, to have a better, a bigger life and personality and understand more about life. Welcome to Bullish, where we talk about the journey and process to build ourselves and companies into multi-billion dollar people and brands. Currently, my business and investment funds have done tens of millions in revenue. And this is the documentation of the journey to scale to the billion dollar realm. All while we give back and do good in the world. My name is Bridger Pennington and welcome to Bullish. Hey, hey guys, hope you're enjoying the show. Now, as you know, we don't run advertisements on this channel. We just spread this by word of mouth. So if you can, please rate and review the show. If it's benefited your life anyway, please drop that down below. I actually love reading them. I love seeing what people say and share and stuff. So if you guys can, if you, this show has helped you in any way, shape or form, please rate and review and share this with a friend or two that may benefit their life. We do this just to help more people understand this game that we're playing. Thank you guys so much and we'll get back to the show. Boom, people, welcome back to the show. Today we're gonna talk about eight things I wish I would have known when I was younger. Life lessons that I've learned now that I wish I would have implemented earlier and if I could go back and tell my younger self, these are the eight things I would say. Number one is use school as a tool to make money. A lot of kids, myself included, go to school and we are told to take our, and I'm talking about college, university. You go to college, university with pretty much no plan. Hey, go have fun, explore, learn, and maybe get a good job when you leave. And in reality, I thankfully I learned this by my second semester in school. I was like, dude, I am not here. This is doing me no good to learn about art history and civilizations and other, like, like I need to learn skills. I need to learn stuff that can make me money. And what changed my whole mindset of school was I'm going to go to school to make money. My whole purpose of going to school, spending money, being here, spending time, some of the best years of my life to be in school is so that I will have a positive ROI on the rest of my life, whether that's with temporally or monetarily or just my mental state is just a lot better the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Now, I like to put things in terms of money and dollar signs. And I had a lot of friends that was like, hey, I'm in school. I'm trying to figure out my passion, what I'm passionate about. And I was like, that is total garbage. I believe you go to school to figure out how to make money in the most efficient and with integrity and best way possible so that you have money to go do your passions later. Uh, I think there's a problem when you try to even sometimes mix passions and work because then your passion becomes your job and you end up hating your passions. Um, and a, a lot of times, most people don't make much money with their passions. And even if they do, I, I keep asking this, like, okay, you do your passion for your job. Oh yeah, I love my job. It's my passion in my life. Okay, great. What if they stop paying you? What if next week they didn't give you a paycheck? A month from now, they didn't give you a paycheck. Would you still show up and do that job? Six months from now, you didn't get a, no paycheck. Would you still show up and do it a year from now? They usually say, no, well, I've got to make money somehow. And I go, aha. So even though you're doing your passion, money is first priority. So you might as well figure out a job and career that makes a lot of money. And then you can do all the passions you want and go skiing, go whatever you want to do, go do it. And um, thankfully, I had a mentor kind of tell me this. And so my first years of college, I didn't take, I, I stopped taking generals. I took finance, accounting. I took a negotiations class. I took an SEO class. I took a real estate class. I, I was taking, I, I got into an MBA level class. They let me, like I snuck into this class just so I could learn from the MBA students. Uh, I did that because I was like, I need to train myself here. I need to like use school as a tool to make money. And by my third year in college, I was making over a hundred thousand a year uh, for my businesses. And then, um, anyways, I, I can go on on that story, but that'd be number one. All right, number two is pay down ignorance debt faster. This is a concept that was taught to me on stage from a mentor. He got on stage, he said, okay, what are your guys' two biggest expenses in life? 
and write them down. Was it, you know, all these things of expenses. And he said, I'm going to give you a hint. Number two is taxes. I was like, huh, okay, I didn't think about it. He goes, you get taxed on every purchase you make, income tax, there's, there's a property tax. I mean, you could go on all the tax. You get taxed every little nickel and dime by the government. He goes, that's number two. And it begs the question, well, what's number one? And he goes, number one thing you pay for every year is ignorance, is not knowing how to make a million dollars in a year. At the time, I was making about, I think, $110,000 I made in a year. This is my third year of college which I thought was really good. I'm like, man, I'm killing it. I'm making six figures a year in college. And he goes, you just paid the universe $890,000 last year because you don't know how to make a million dollars. You know, these people that they're multimillionaires and they lose it all. They go to zero. They even go bankrupt. And then all of a sudden they rebound. Then they make another 10 million, 20 million, hundred million dollars. How do they do that? It's because they know something that me and you don't know about business. So a good example, these, uh, these Iranian businessmen, they, they, so they were in Iran during this whole revolution. They all got kicked out. And there was two different groups. There was one group that had their family business. They ran the lottery in Iran. They were super wealthy. And they got kicked out. And then there's other business owners that were, had just started their own business, were entrepreneurs, and they all moved to LA. They got, uh, they got refugee camps in LA. The business owners that were just given the family business for the lottery ended up never making money again. But the business owners from Iran that had learned the structure and how business works came to LA and they crushed it. They were fantastic business owners and they didn't even speak the language, but they knew how business worked and they made millions of dollars doing business in LA. There's an ignorance gap that me and you pay every year because we don't, haven't learned the lessons to make a certain amount of income. And I wish someone had told me that earlier, but I, thankfully someone did tell me that and I started to double down on mentorship, coaching, masterminds. I've spent about $280,000 in coaching, mentorship, and masterminds over the last four years. And it has made all the difference for my career. All the difference. And I actually continue to seek out and look for groups or programs or ways that I can pay down my ignorance debt. We just paid for another one. It was $15,000 for the year. We joined a group and I'm, I'm like the dumbest person in the room. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. That sounds awesome. Uh, I want to be in that room. And I'm willing to pay a price to get into that room to pay to play to pay down my ignorance. So that's number two is pay down your ignorance debt faster. Hey, hey, what's going on, people? Hope you're enjoying the show. This is Bridger Pennington here. So if you like the show so far, if you're more of a visual learner, we actually post almost all of these to YouTube. So if you go look me up, Bridger Pennington on YouTube, we're there. We actually have a ton of different content on funds and different business structure and strategy, stuff that we kind of don't touch on on the podcast, but are more visual-based stuff. So if you're a visual learner, go to YouTube and go check me out, Bridger Pennington on YouTube. With that, we'll get back to the show. Thanks, guys. Number three is it's not that risky to launch and or start a business. There's a mantra that I had for a long time that was like, man, it's really risky to get into business or start a business or it's just so risky. So much risk associated with this thing. And I remember it scared me for a long time. And I finally had a mentor. I told the story before, but I'll tell it again. He came and talked to our school at, at BYU. He came, he's from Harvard. He came in and spoke and he was a successful entrepreneur, made tons of money. And he ended his talk. He came to the back of the room. And I'm like, dang, he's standing, like no one's talking to him. And someone else speaker was up there. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to this guy. So I went up and said, hey. I said, hey, my name's Bridger. He said, hey, what's up? And I go, hey, I got one question for you. I go, I'm in school right now. I've started a few businesses. I'm considering like going all out and starting a business and like going for it. But it feels so risky. Like I don't want to stop being in school. I might lose my position in school or whatever. And he goes, okay, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's going to be risky. Like I, I, what if I lose money? What if I fail? He goes, okay what do you mean? And he goes, 
Let me ask you a question. Bridger, if you failed, do you have a family member or a friend that you, if you really hit rock bottom, you could move in with them and sleep on their couch for a couple months and, you know, they'd, they'd help you out? And I said, yeah, you know, I have a few people in my life that I bet I could go live with them. And he's like, would they have food in their fridge and air conditioning and stuff? Like, you'd be okay? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. So your worst case scenario is you go bankrupt, you lose it all, and you have to go move in with a family member who loves you and you have food in the fridge and air conditioning. And he goes, your worst case scenario is better than 85% of the world lives right now. He goes, we're not talking about the same level of risk. And he goes, how much money do you have in your bank account? Like, what do you got? And he's like, ah, oh. I'm like, I got like five grand. He's like, okay, you lose all of five grand. Like my living expense at the time were like 300 bucks a month. He's like, you could get a job at anywhere, McDonald's and make a couple thousand bucks a month and you'd be right back on your feet just fine. And you'd also have really good experience, which by the way, our economy and business, business hires, recruiters actually really like. So even if you fail, you have a really good story to tell. And you'll get a move in with a family member and, re and just restart. And guess what? Colleges will always take your money. They always will welcome you back and take a check from you. Okay? He goes, we're not talking about the same, same level of risk. And I was like, whoa. Aha moment. Like, huh. And actually, it's way less riskier to launch a, a business in your 20s than it is to launch a business in your 40s or 50s. Now, you can do it in both ways. But what I'm saying is, in your 20s, you have the most energy. You can usually live on the least amount of stuff. You don't, you don't have habits of living in a big castle and having food and Netflix and DoorDash and other stuff. In college, at least for me, I was like, I'm, I'm just give me a pillow on the floor. I'm good. And so, and I don't have a big mortgage. I don't have a family to pay for yet. It's just me. And so my risk level is way lower. Hence, I can have a higher reward for, and I have an asymmetrical risk ratio based on my business decision right now. And it actually is a disservice if I don't take the chance, don't take the risk. And life is only gonna become more risky as I wait. So I better take the risk now. And ultimately, it's not even that risky. Because in America, we have food stamps, we have Medicare, we have bankruptcy, we have all these nets that catch you when you fall. And really, you don't fall that far. And you learn a lot on the way as you do it. That's number three. It's not that risky to launch. Number four, posturing and positioning in conversations versus listening and learning. In college, I used to position my, I, I was always about positioning myself in conversation. I'd, I'd try to talk myself up. I'd try to say, I'm doing all these cool things. I'm launching this business. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I was always trying to position. And what I realized was you learn nothing by speaking. Speaking just conveys to other and positions you to others. And hopefully you get status alignment, but you don't learn anything by that. On the contrary, if you can listen and or ask good questions, you can learn and extract a lot of information from that person. And oftentimes when sometimes you posture and you're, you're, you're posturing at someone who's like 10 times ahead of you in business or life or whatever, you look like an idiot. So when you posture hard, it actually sometimes hurts your reputation and you learn nothing versus if you're listen and ask good questions, you actually potentially can learn something and you don't have the risk of posturing and failing. <laughs> and, um, and then you hopefully can have other people position, position for you. You guys wouldn't believe when I go to events and stuff, we have a lot of people come up to me and take pictures and hang out. And like, I, I'll, I sometimes get, it's crazy enough. I get recognized in airports and walking around. Like I, get, I actually get recognized quite a bit. And um, what's funny enough is in those conversations, when I meet someone, I almost never talk. Hey, Bridger, oh my gosh, I saw you on Instagram. Like last night, somebody's like, hey, what's up? You know, it's cool. I go, hey, tell me about you. And then they blabber on about themselves for eight, seven, 10 minutes. 
And I just go, oh, okay, cool. Tell me about your business. What's going on? And I actually extract a lot of good information. I see if it's a someone I want to do business with or partner with. And if not, hey, cool. We can take a picture. Let's take a picture. Post it on social media. Cool. And we, we move on with our life. Um, I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I'd been better. And I, I'm hoping to get better at that, by the way. I'm still working on that, but that's pretty cool. That's number four. Posturing and positioning and conversation versus listening and learning. Uh, number five. I wish I would have grown a beard earlier. <laughs> this would be a quick one, but uh, I uh, still, and right now, if you're watching this, I don't have a thick beard. I just shaved it a few weeks ago. I've, I kind of go in and out of having a thicker beard. But um, I believe for a long time, people would call me, oh, you're just a, like, hey, bud, hey, kid. They like have these demoting. And by the way, if someone calls me bud, holy crap, I get like, talk about if people get triggered, I hate that word. But like when someone calls me bud, hey, bud, like I will not do business with that person. I'm like, I'm done. Like the conversation's over. Hey, pal. Hey, bud. Hey, whatever. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm out. Like gone. I, I like literally I, in a conversation, I will stop talking with that person. And I, I will like openly be like, yeah, we're good. See ya. So if, by the way, if that's just a side note, but also having, I think having a beard establishes you as an authority. It makes you look older. looks, makes you look wiser. Um, as for a, someone that was starting in their twenties in business and working in a, a more gray hair business, I think having a beard helped a lot and still does to a degree. Maybe I'll grow my beard out again. I kind of have some scruff on here. Um, and so actually funny enough, I actually was trimming my beard and I messed up and I like put a big line in my beard. So I ended up having, I had to shave the whole thing, but I wish I would have grown a beard earlier and kind of leaned into that better. I think it, uh, I think there's something about having a beard that makes you, and by the way, not just for others, for you, I think you just, as a man, it's like having a beard, you just feel good about yourself. I don't know. You feel more wise, <laughs> makes you act differently. All right. That's number five. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the show. If you're someone that wants to learn more about alternative investing, private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, we just created a brand new group on discord that all of our wall street rebels around the world are joining. It's called the wall street rebel insider community. Go check it out down below. It's an amazing group. I go live in there. We do calls. I do all sorts of AI bots and terminal things and all sorts of cool stuff. So go check it out and get back to the show. Thanks guys. Uh, number six, understanding the four different types of leverage and going deep on one of them. I wish I would have understand this concept earlier. When I was starting out in college and business, I was just like, okay, anything I want to get into, any idea, let's just try it out, which I think is a fine thing to do. But I wish I would understand the concept. And Robert Kiyosaki made this famous in his book, but it's been taught, taught for centuries. The four pieces of leverage. You have, number one, is capital. Capital is a piece of leverage. Think, again, these are leverage items. In a business, you can have a lever that can allow you to do more, okay? Number one is capital. Number two is technology. Number three is people or humans. Number four is media. So for example, if you have humans and like a big staff, as a group, you or as an individual, let's call yourself an individual, you can get a lot more done with a group and it's a leverage piece. Like you yourself, can you just make an order and things happen? Technology is the same way. It allows one person to do more than what they could have done before. It's a leverage item. Capital is the same way and also media. What I wish I would have known is those four pieces of leverage, but also going deep on one or maybe two of them. There are some people in our economy right now that have gone really deep on media. Mr. Beast is a great example. He has gone so good on media. He has the lever of media that he launches a chocolate bar or a burger or whatever, and it's a $100 million business overnight. Because he has gotten so good at one piece of leverage, media. There's TikTok influencers or other people or the Kardashians, whoever you want to call, have gotten really, really good at media. And that allows them to have a huge amount of leverage in business. Other people got really good at technology. They get really, really good at building new technologies, and that's where we you know, have these tech startups that do incredible things. Some people get really good at leading teams. 
and people. Think about an MLM. I'm, I'm in Utah. Salt Lake City is kind of the, the hub of a lot of MLM companies, multi-level marketing or, or network marketing companies. They are really good at having people be their army of sales salespeople. They have incentives and commissions. Uh, you can do Herbalife, uh, uh, doTERRA, New Skin, all these huge, I mean, they're multi-billion dollar companies that really have been built upon word of mouth network marketing. They got really, really good at people. And then the other one is capital. That's what I've, I've leaned into the last few years is like capital. I'm going to, I'm, I've gotten very good. I, I would say great, but I'm getting very great at raising and deploying capital and using capital as a leverage piece to scale myself in business. I wish I would have understood those four and decided to go deeper on one of them earlier. So for me, just so you guys are aware right now, I'm going deep on capital and media. As you guys know, I do a lot of media stuff. Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of benefits from that. And then also a lot of benefits from going deep on capital and l learning the lever of capital. Uh, okay, that's number six. Number seven, sleep is very important. <laughs> I was the kid in college that was like, I'm gonna be ultra efficient. I, you know, I don't need sleep. I'm gonna sleep four hours a night, three hours a night. I'm gonna work because I'm gonna stay up late working. I'm gonna work in the morning. Like I'm gonna be hyper efficient. I'm not gonna take vacations, breaks, nothing because I'm not rich enough. I'm too poor to take vacations. Meaning I don't have the money, meaning I don't have the income or the business level or the, the I don't have, I haven't had enough success yet to take vacations, which I did for a long time. And I, I said, I don't have enough success to have sleep. Like, yeah, I, I'll sleep once I'm, I have $10 million, then I'll sleep. But until then, I don't deserve to sleep. That's how I train my brain. Actually, it was, I worked my guts out. Finally, I read a book called Essentialism that talked about, they tracked high performers. One of the chapters was on sleep. And he said, uh, for concert pianists and violinists, they, the average sleep they get a night is 10 to 11 hours a night they get. It's an average. A lot of NFL athletes and huge high-performing athletes were sleeping nine, 10 hours a night. And he went through the, all these high performers actually had really, really good sleep habits and, and recognized that sleep was vital for them to be successful in their field. And I thought about that a lot and it totally shifted my attitude. I said, you know what? Instead of working 18 hours tired, why don't I work nine hours really energized? Let's try that out. And it actually made all the difference in the world. And I, if I could go back, I would, I would tell myself that sleep is very important. I still, right now, I'm like, I, I, I try to make sure I get, I try to get eight hours at least a night because I know my body needs to recover and you have sleep debt. And it's and yes, in the short term, there's times where you need to stay up and work on stuff, but over the long term, it hurts your health, it hurts your overall approach, and it actually just decreases your effectiveness over a lifetime. That's number seven. Sleep is very important. Number eight, you can become smarter than 95% of the population in a topic in about 10 hours of studying on that topic. I wish someone would have told me this sooner. I think a lot of us, count ourselves out on topics. Hey, I'm just not, I'm just not good at finance. I'm just not good at coding. You know, I'm just not good at this AI thing. I'm just not that guy and, or that gal. And we just tell ourselves, Oh, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not good at real estate. I just can't do real estate. You know, I just haven't, haven't done it before the stock market, whatever the thing is. I'm not good at entrepreneurship. And in reality, if you study, not just kind of, but like actually in depth, like in flow for 10 hours and maybe break that up over a few days, you will, in, for 10 hours of study, you'll become smarter than 95% of the population on a single topic. If you spent 10 hours this next week going deep, not just watching videos, but like really going deep on coding 
and how code works and just the languages and how it all meshes together, you would be smarter than 95% of the population on coding or real estate house flipping or AI or robotics or whatever the concept is that is in the back of your brain that you feel like you can't do. Um, it's, it's insane how much you can get in that short period of time of just 10 hours. And then you can, I mean, come out, you go 20, then 30, then 50 hours. You can actually, in a week or two, go very, very deep on a topic and become a moderate expert on a topic in a relatively short period of time. And at least have enough acumen to know the language of that industry and or find inefficiencies and or start businesses around that. You'll have enough acumen to hire the right people that can solve the problems in that space. The problem is most of us, myself included, for a long time just said, you know what, I'm just not a coder. I'm just not good at code. I'm not good at technology stuff. And then finally, I took, a, I took two coding classes in college just to try it out. And I was like, holy crap. First off, coding is relatively easy. It's not that like, it's just, it's a very simple language. It's just like math. It's like one plus one equals two. It's just, it makes sense. Like how the loops work and just how the logic of a computer works was like, oh, it's not that crazy. Like this isn't that hard. And I don't know about, maybe that's just a confidence thing for me, but the same with funds. Like I started to learn about funds. It's really scary from the outside, but then I started to learn about, oh, it's not that crazy. You know, like people doing this. Yeah, it's, there's some intricacies, but it's not that crazy. It's pretty simple when you put it all together and make it, it make sense. And hopefully you guys have got some of that from that show. But um, anyways, you can become smarter than 95% of the population a topic in about 10 hours of study on something. That's number eight. The last one. This is a bonus one. Number nine. I think I said eight, but we're going to number nine. Trust in the Lord. And it's something I've, I've done, but I think um, specifically for business. Trusting in the Lord or, or God or whatever you believe in. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe in um, higher power. And I believe that God, I'm just gonna use the term God as a general, general rule, God cares deeply about us and cares deeply about every part of our lives, not just our spiritual parts of our lives. We are God's children and we literally have a father to child relationship with God. And God has, just like you have a child, you have an innate just love for that child and innate curiosity and love for every part of their life. I believe God doesn't just care about our spiritual parts of our lives, even though that's important. He also cares what we do for work, how we work with our kids and our families and our spouse, who we date. I think it's, it's, it all plays into this whole game of life together. And God is in, uniquely positioned to help us in all of our facets. And for example, uh, this company, Fun Launch, that we run, now an eight-figure company has done really well. It's been really awesome. Uh, I had multiple things. I, I keep a, a thing called prayer notes in my phone. It's called prayer notes. And anytime I have a prompting or an impression or something, I just write it down. And I try to act on it. I have, I don't know, multiple, multiple times over months where I felt God impressed me to say, you need to start a company on like investment funds or teaching people. Like you need to start a company on teaching people how to do investment funds. You need to help people do funds. And like, I kind of shrugged it off for a while. Like, ah, I don't know. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. Finally, I got this prompt. I was praying and I said, you know what? I can't ignore this thing any longer. Otherwise it's going to go away and God's going to, I don't know, maybe give this to somebody else. And I said, I got to do this. And I said, I don't know what to start with. I'm going to start with a podcast. And we started with the podcast. Uh, this is this show. Um, on our previous one, we've now launched into bullish, but started the podcast and we started with a small course and it grew and grew. And grew. now we have 60,000 students around the world. We throw multiple thousand person events. I've, I don't know, 40 to 50 employees now that work for me. It's like crazy how this company blew up. And I believe God has an innate love and care for us and to trust in God. Now, the contrary of that is, is true as well. I believe uh, business and life is a game 
And we are here to be tried and tested and to learn and ultimately to become like God, more like God. And there's times in our lives where we're going to, God wants us to experience hardship and sorrow and what it's like to lose a business or things that go bad. And, and he is with us through the whole process. God's not punishing us. He's, I don't believe in a, a God that punishes us. I believe the God that tries to improve us and make us better. And sometimes we just, you have to go through hard stuff to improve, to get better, to have a better, a bigger life and personality and understand more about life and trusting in the good and also the bad of what God gives us and um, being okay with whatever God sends our way. That's my ninth lesson that I wish I would have known younger. And I'm still working on that, trying to get better at that. Um, but understanding that that God has innate, innately loves us. If we ask for a, a bread, he's not going to give us a stone. God is going to, God gives good gifts and actually wants to bless us. And sometimes the best blessing for me and you is for your business to crumble. That's the best possible outcome for you or me. And sometimes the best possible thing for you. And yes, there's things that happen because of other people's choices and agency that God has given us. Um, but ultimately, number nine is to trust in the Lord. All right, thank you guys so much. Like, comment. Let me know if you guys think of this episode. And we'll see you next up, on the next one. Bye.